God, we thank you for this season, a season of anticipation and looking forward. Uh, Christmas is huge, God. We, we love Easter, obviously, but can't have Easter without Christmas. So. Draw near to us this morning, Lord. Holy Spirit, you authored this, uh, this whole Bible through 40 or so different books. And we thank you for giving us a living, true, trustworthy word. God, we'll admit that a lot of times we need help understanding it, especially prophecy and end times and stuff. We're in some deep waters here in chapter 13. Help us to, to learn, to commit it to memory more, more so, Lord God, to, to know and love Jesus, to fellowship more closely with you, and to be ready for what comes. Thank you for your help now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to review quickly. We finished chapter 12 um, a couple weeks ago, and we need to kind of get that big picture of chapter 12 because it, it flows right into 13. You can't do 13 uh, apart from chapter 12. So in chapter 12, we were introduced to the red dragon. The red dragon is the devil himself. And basically, it starts off by telling us a story about how the red dragon is trying to destroy the child that comes from the woman. The woman is Israel, and literally Mary in the birth event, obviously. But Israel gives birth to the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. So the devil tries to destroy the child. So here we have, then it tells us the child is born. That's when we get the manger there. Child is born, goes to the cross, and is taken up to heaven to the throne of God. And then really, a thousands of years leap. Um, we leap forward to this, um, that the woman goes into a secret hiding place for 1260 days, well, that's three and a half years, that's the last half of the seven years of tribulation. Then we back up a little bit in time, and it talks about war in heaven, this is Michael, the archangel in charge of God's armies, angel armies in heaven, and Michael and uh, the devil and his angel followers, they actually have war in heaven. That happens at the midpoint, and then they lose. The devil and his angels lose. They're they're hurled down to the earth. So, what's the situation here? Well, this happens at the midpoint of the seven years of tribulation. And when he's hurled down, uh, the Bible says, "Watch out!" He he knows he's he's full of rage and fury. He knows his time is short, so he's really going to go after them. He's going to try and destroy Israel. So he's pursuing Israel. God is taking Israel, 144,000, maybe a few others, but 144,000 he takes to a supernatural hiding place in the, in the desert and hides them, keeps them from the devil for three and a half years. The devil tries to, some in some fashion, tries to use water to drown them. And uh, the prophecy, Revelation says that God opens the earth and swallows up the water, um, you know, stops him from doing harm and damage to Israel. And then it says at the end of chapter 12, let's go there briefly. So he tries to, to drown Israel and God stops him. Verse 17, chapter 12, verse 17 says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman, that's Israel, the Jews, and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Well, that's that's Christians. You know, 
Jews too, but, but especially as the rest of her offspring is referring to those outside Israel and, uh, and yet who hold the testimony of Jesus. And then chapter 13, verse 1 says, And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. So now we're going to go forward into chapter 13. And just, I, I'm not real happy that this is happening where we're, we've had last Sunday off and the next two Sundays are off because this is really deep stream detail stuff. So we're just going to have to keep doing some, some backup and refresher to try and get back in the flow, okay? There's, there's no other way to uh, keep our, our brains in the flow here, at least mine anyway. Okay, any comments or questions before we go deeper into chapter 13? Okay, so chapter 12, we were introduced to the red dragon, and we're going to go a lot further with that now in chapter 13 here. Chapter 13, verse 1. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. Now, blasphemy, let's just be clear on that. We're going to hear that a bunch in chapter 13. Uh, blasphemy is what? Give me some ideas. Throw it at me. Claiming to be God, that's the ultimate blasphemy, right? And that's that's what we should think of right away when we hear blasphemy. Blasphemy is, is a complete rejection of God and his truth. Um, a claim to be God yourself, which is rejection of God and rejection of all truth. Goes along those lines. You, you could, somebody who's sold out to evolution to the point, and, and some are, obviously, to the point of there is no God, we don't need a God, we don't need creation, it all happened by itself as a random accidental occurrence in nature. That's blasphemy. It's a, it's a any, any outright rejection of the truth of the Word of God. Now, we're sci-fi fans. Any sci-fi fans here? You. Uh, we saw Eternals, the movie, a couple nights ago. It's blasphemy. Outright rejection of everything God, everything about creation. Um, we aren't going to be going to the sequels and stuff. We're just like, that's just, it's one thing to tell a story and a fantasy and a fable and stuff. And it's another thing to, in your face, reject God and act like he doesn't exist and he's not an issue. Uh, it was it's blasphemous in our perspective. So just to give you a heads up, uh, we enjoy sci-fi. We're not going to enjoy Eternals and the rest of the movies that follow it. Junk. So blasphemy, um, we'll, we'll talk about that quite a bit in 13. And that's you know, part of what comes to the end. If you come to the end of all things, there's less and less middle ground. There's, there's no more gray area, right? You either are shaking your fist at God and you hate him, or you love him and you're willing to give your life for him. There's nobody in between. We're seeing more and more of that now in our own country, right? So there's this, uh, God, God's taken away the gray area. Make, make up your mind. Which God are you going to serve? Okay? Elijah at the, the Mount Carmel, the battle with the, the prophets of Baal. So... Burns up, you know, Elijah, or 
Props fail, try their thing, nothing happens. Elijah goes, okay, God, show up, show them who the true God is. Fire comes down from heaven, eats up the whole thing. Elijah turns to the crowd and he says, and they go, whoa, God, the Lord really is God. Gee, we're surprised. And Elijah goes, okay, make your choice. Make your choice right now, who are you going to serve? And uh, that's what a big part of what the end times is about. Biggest part, well, biggest part. One of the big parts is Israel and saving them, a whole bunch of them, finally. The other part is who you're going to serve. The, the choice is going to be clear. Ultra, super clear. That says make your choice. Your eternity hangs in the balance. Today is the day. So, verse 2 here, I saw a beast. That beast, if you got your own Bibles, you want to make notes here, your electronic devices, I guess you could do that some way, which I have not figured out yet. <laughs> That beast is the Antichrist. But it's also some of these things, I don't want to say they're fuzzy, but they 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 flow back and forth between exactly what they're referring to. So here I saw the beast coming out of the sea. It's the Antichrist, but it's also the kingdom that he's going to bring together at the end to try and establish his own kingdom and overcome God and Jesus. So I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns. Now the horns, we'll find out, the, ten, the horns are kings, current kings with the Antichrist who give him, they give the Antichrist their power and authority. There are ten kings who do that, okay, and those horns. Seven heads. The heads represent kings and kingdoms throughout history who have been used by Satan to try and destroy Israel. Okay, so they're represented here. So it's kind of like all, all the kingdoms and kings Satan has used through the ages to try and destroy Israel, they are represented in this final beast, this final attempt by Satan. All the things he's learned from the past and all the manipulations, he's going to bring it all together into one last big shot. So the seven heads represent the, all of his past attempts. He's bringing them along. Then it says ten crowns on his horns. So those horns are the, the current kings the Antichrist uses, uh, crowns, they're all rulers, leaders at the top of their, their nation. It says, and on each head, those seven heads, those um, kingdoms down through the ages and the one that Antichrist is creating now, each head a blasphemous name. So every one of those kingdoms from the past and the one that the Antichrist builds, they're blasphemous their whole purpose is to reject God and destroy his people. And so you say, you know, um, what's it like to be a Jew down through the ages? Wow. Satan's got a, a target painted on your chest from the moment you're born. And so are the Jews different people? Are they, they different than anybody else? They act different. Their personality is kind of different. Um, we have a brother-in-law who's big in the hotel industry, and he ran a hotel in Miami, Florida for a long time, and Miami is a real, uh, back then was a real hot spot destination for Jews to come vacation from all over the world, especially Israel. And he was very careful, because he's, he's a Christ follower. He was careful what he said about the Jews. But he would tell you, Hardest people to make happy in the world. They just come and they expect everything to be perfect all the time. 
and will ask you for things that you never think to imagine that you should have to provide. So when, when a whole bunch of Jews came for a vacation or something to his hotel, he was like, batting down the hatches and smile on your face every day. Why are they like this? Why are they so different? It comes from thousands of years of generations of persecution that informs and shapes who they are, how they see life, how they see people. It's amazing um, to think about. Each head had a blasphemous name. Let's look at my, my new illustration here briefly chapter 13. So, I guess I'm not going to apologize. I, I tried to draw the beast. Uh, I don't know anybody who's done a great job of this. But we got, first thing we're told is ten horns, right? And the horns represent ten current kings that serve with the Antichrist. Tells us there are seven heads. And they are different kings from the past. One of them has a little bit of a Hitler stash there, mustache, and has AC on it, Antichrist. There's a wound on the face. That's where the, the bloody, bloody wound there. Talk about that a little bit. All that comes out here in chapter chapter 13. Down here, I tried I tried to draw lips. Okay, if you look at the illustration, those those are supposed to be lips, and on across the lips is written the word blasphemy. Why do I put blasphemy on, on lips? That's what they speak. Yeah, because they're always declaring, speaking, declaring that they're blasphemy. So it's something that comes from the mouth. Okay? There's our red dragon. We'll see what, what he's going to do here in a minute with this beast. So uh, let's go. You say, how do I know? I've been telling you that uh, the ten horns are current kings. The seven heads are past kings. And you're like, well, where are you getting that from, Pastor Joe? You just pulling it out of a hat? No, I'm pulling it from Revelation chapter 17. Let's go there. Just for a bit. I just want you to see where I'm getting this from. Usually, when God gives us an image or uh, something, you know, prophetic, a beast or a monster or whatever, usually right after that, God tells us, well, here's what it means. And I don't know why for sure, but in this situation, we don't find out clear until we're in chapter 13. Clear down in chapter 17, we get detail on, on this beast and what the things mean. Why four chapters later? I don't know. But here's where it's at. So Revelation chapter 17, verse 7. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides. This is not Israel woman. This is a different woman. This is the harlot of Babylon. But, well, that comes later. So the woman and the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. Is that the same beast in Revelation chapter 13? Yep, sure is. Verse 8. The beast, which you saw, once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. That's really odd, isn't it? Um, who or what are we talking about? Are we talking about a kingdom here? Are we talking about one of the, the beast rulers, the kings? Probably one of the kings. And what are we saying about one of these kings from these blasphemous empires? We're saying that he, he once was, he, so he's already been around on the earth, he's already done his thing, but he currently is not, as John writes this. He says, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. So, hmm, 
coming back. Interesting, right? How are we going to pull that off? I don't know for sure. But I, I want to be careful. There are there are lots of uh, prophecy end times writers that have this all figured out. They'll say exactly who these how this stuff. And I'm going. You might be right, but I doubt your content. You're just going to have to let God reveal it as it comes. I think comes up out of the abyss and goes to destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast. Now, so who's going to be astonished when they see him? What kind of people? Unbelievers. What is that? What's the flip side of that coin, people? Who is not going to be astonished when he appears? We are not going to be astonished. Why not? Because we have the Bible, we have the prophecies, we know what's coming. So when he when he reveals his identity at the midpoint of seven years in the temple, we're not going to be astonished. We're going to be like, yeah, saw this coming. Knew this was going to happen. Um, they're going to be astonished. And it's going to lead to their worship and devotion to him. We're going to expect his arrival. We're not going to be impressed. We're going to know he is evil, consummate, and we're not going to worship him. We're not going to take his mark. We're going to reject him. So, people, unbelievers are going to be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. And so, we aren't going to do it. But if you go to the timeline, uh, towards the bottom of the timeline, towards the right-hand end, there's a, well, there's a couple different spots in the timeline where it looks like Hitler on there. And you're, you're what is up with that? Well, the gentleman that wrote a lot of the stuff that helped me understand in times of revelation really well. I mean, he died from cancer 20 years ago. But he felt like, as he looked at scripture, he felt like um, like Hitler was a possibility for the identity of the Antichrist. Because it's really interesting. When you, when you look at this, he once was, he, he existed in the past, and he now is not. Um, he's only in the future. And, and when he reveals himself, the world is astonished at his identity. So part of his stuff was like, well, what face would the whole world recognize immediately? Um, and so I don't know. I don't push this too far. I don't, I don't ride that horse real hard at all. But I think there's, there's different ways that his identity could become obviously like, is amazing. You're supposed to be dead. Or whatever. Um, Von Compton, the author, he felt like there was going to be some, maybe some cloning technology or something like that. Whatever. But it's kind of interesting. Well, why wouldn't you recognize his identity before that moment? What, uh, what's going to change in that moment at the midpoint when you, all of a sudden you can recognize him? I don't know. So I don't want to go too far with that at all. But that's, that's just why Hitler faces on the timeline a couple times. That was something he and he admitted uh, what, I don't know if he'd call it speculation, but it was like, I'm throwing a dart out there and this kind of lines up with some stuff, but um, let's not go too far with that, okay? But the world's going to be astonished, and we aren't, because we're going to get it. We're going to understand it. And, and this is why, this is why we're, we're doing this, is because tons and tons of Christians, people in pews and sanctuary chairs across America today, and around the world, especially America, 
They're not paying attention to the insects around them. They're not studying them. And an awful lot of Houston relatively active Christians are doing that. They're not going to be up to speed. We're going to have to be sharing with people. That's crazy. Verse 9 says, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven, and here's the, the detail. The seven heads are seven hills in which the woman sits. We'll talk about that more later. Rome was built on famously on a, in an area of seven hills. Uh, Constantinople was too. There's another capital city that um, still might be kind of a reference to Rome. I'm going to push it too far. Seven heads are seven hills in which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. So the seven heads are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. When he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast, or the king who once was and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. What is that talking about? The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven. Apparently it's telling us that this last antichrist human king is in some shape or form kind of a resurrection or a reincarnation of one of the previous blasted saints. We've got seven. Um, you could count him as an eighth, but he's actually one of the originals. Isn't that interesting and bizarre? So now, what is, what is Satan? What, has Satan ever had an, an original thought in his head? never has. What's he always trying to do? He's trying to copy whom? Trying to copy Jesus, trying to copy God. So with God, we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, what does the devil do at the end times? We got Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. We have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, a bastard version of it. Um, every, every aspect of who God is, Satan tries to copy or tries to do better doing the same thing here. Um, so, resurrection. How does he try and copy resurrection? He's going he's gonna to find a way to bring back one of these blasphemous saints. And it'll, it'll, look, it'll be like a resurrection, but it won't be the real thing. It'll be a, a bad copy. Okay? Maybe he'll use cloning. I don't know what he's going to use, but it won't be Jesus rising from the grave three days after his death. And rise into a resurrection body that lasts for eternity. It won't be that. But it's going to be something that astonishes the world, the unbelieving world. Now, again, believers were like, yeah, resurrection, cops it. This isn't going to ever happen. We knew this was coming. God told us so. Okay, so copycat stuff. Verse 12. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. So John's writing this 2,000 years ago, and he says, there's ten kings that they haven't appeared yet, but they will down the line. But but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast, along with the Antichrist? And how long is their rule and reign going to be? How long is it going to last? It's going to be brief, isn't it? Really brief in terms of world history for one hour. Uh, along with the beast. Verse 13. They have one purpose, will give their power and authority to the beast. Okay? So their only purpose is to give support to the Antichrist. If he tries to bring down 
God and Jesus in the place for Jerusalem. That's their only purpose. Verse 14, here's their focus. They will make war against the Lamb. But the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So their only purpose is to give power and authority to the Antichrist in an attempt to make war on Jesus himself and bring him down. And Jesus is going to whoop on Okay, so that's where I'm getting the stuff back in chapter 13 about the, the heads and the kings and the horns and stuff. There's a detail for us there in chapter 17. Comments or questions before I go to break? Yes, Sue. Yeah, and it, it could be too, that's really good, it could be too that uh, the Antichrist, who is loved already because he brought peace to Israel in the Middle East, right? He's already loved and, ex- and respected the whole world and fond of him because he finally brought peace, right? Um, and it's possible that there's an assassination attempt or something like that, and the whole world... He, he died. And it, I wouldn't be shocked at all if it's three days later. He's like, well, the doctors declared him dead, and he was on a slab, and the morgue goes, whoa, look at that, he's alive. So it could easily be something like that. It would astonish the world, right? And we're going, when is it coming? So it could be something as, as simple as that. Now, um, of course, Christians have, have for 2,000 years have been like, well, European Union. Who remembers when the European Union was being formed? It was, you know, if you're old like me, it was in your lifetime. I don't know what, 20, 30 years ago? The European Union is formed. And, and, and we're holding a breath going, huh? How many countries are coming together? Is it 10? Is it 10 countries in the European Union? It's the Antichrist beast! You know, and we all go nuts. Uh, is it the European Union? Very probably not. Their focus is not anti-Christ, not anti-God. There are aspects, there are uh, anti-Semitic things in Europe for sure, but it's not that. Um, and then von Kampen died before this stuff developed, but you know what the biggest possibility now is, and it's more legitimate than the European Union, is um, uh, the Muslim nations, I almost said Lutheran Brotherhood. (laughs) (laughs) The Muslim Brotherhood. (laughs) That was bad. Don't tell me. (laughs) The Muslim Brotherhood. Well, that cuts across different national boundaries there from lots of different nations that come together. But even bigger and more obvious than that is um, Erdogan from Turkey. So go back to the Crusades, right, that, are, that we get ripped on for from the Middle Ages. The Ottoman Empire was a Muslim empire led by um, the king of Turkey, who was a little bit different boundaries than today, but still, same deal. And, and he rallied Muslims from all a whole bunch of nations, and they were trying to wipe out Christianity and Judaism and take over the world. And the Crusades happened because the Ottoman Empire and the Turks took Jerusalem 
and the, and the Pope and the Christians across the world went, oh, no, you don't. That's where our Lord and Savior died and rose from the grave, and, and that Jerusalem has to be opened. And that started the crusade. So Christians from all over the known world gathered together and joined up in armies and, and went after. Second thing was the Ottoman Empire was trying to wipe out Europe and uh, all those nations of Christianism. So they rose up for two self-defense and to take back Jerusalem. Okay? Well, the modern-day ruler of Turkey, Erdogan, is a full-blown Muslim, and he has announced publicly on many occasions that his purpose is to restore the Ottoman Empire. Why is he hanging out with Russia and talking with Russia and being schmoozy with them? Why is he being schmoozy with Iran? That's never happened before, because he wants to restore the Ottoman Empire. Um, are there 10 nations in that grouping? We're, we're in that ballpark. It could easily be 10 when you come down to it. So European Union, I think, not so much. Ottoman Empire, that's a real possibility. Yeah. take over Europe by immigration and infiltration Muslims going into European nations. And you don't have to look very hard on the internet to find out that even the secular leaders in those countries realize it's happening and um, are trying to fight it without openly fighting it because when you openly fight it you get riots and all kinds of terrible things. Yeah, you get, like it's happening again. You get called a bigot and stuff. So, um, yeah, really big. And so Erdogan he has jailed American pastors on charges of espionage, all kinds of stuff. Uh, the last one he kept under lock and key for two, three years before he let go. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of stuff cooking there. So uh, Erdogan in Turkey, keep an eye on him. I'll try to keep, uh, keep an eye on him too, but that's way more legit than the European Union. And could the European Union still be, well, he wants to make it part of his empire. So let's do verse 2. The beast I saw, and I was describing that the end times uh, kingdom that the Antichrist is putting together here. He says, the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power. Isn't that interesting? The dragon is who? The devil himself. The dragon, the devil himself, gave the beast, the Antichrist and his kingdom, 
the devil's power and his throne. Isn't that fascinating? The devil gives him his throne, which means you know his all of his power and authority and great authority. So this is you can tell this is Satan's last ditch all out effort. He's throwing everything on the table here, everything he's got. He even gives his throne to the Antichrist to bring together all these forces to try and take down Jesus and God. Now I want to, I think we, we maybe barely have enough time. I'm going to go back to, um, that's going to be a little bit later. But if you want to for, for three weeks down the line, Daniel chapter 7, we're going to do it, but, but you might want to soak it a little bit. So this this leopard and bear and lion, you go, what, what are all these creatures? Why these critters and stuff? It's um, They represent kingdoms. So if you go back to Daniel chapter 7, you will see a detailed description of each one of these kingdoms and using the animals and stuff. Okay, So John's not pulling this out of his hat. It's not some fairy tale. Daniel saw it too. How many years before? John saw it. About a thousand years before John saw it. Same exact stuff God's revealing. So let's go to my illustration here. So I didn't know how to represent these beasts, but the tail is supposed to look like a leopard's tail. Okay? And the feet are supposed to be like bear's feet. And I didn't even try to do the lion's mouth. I was like, whatever. But mm-hmm. but so what what is the point here? Not not a freakish animal. That's not the point. The point is kind of like the personality of each of these ancient blasphemous kingdoms. They're all coming together. Every wicked thing about every one of those previous empires is all coming together in this last thing. This is going to be the worst of the worst. So it's like Frankenstein's monster, right? I mean, if you watch the movie, what did Dr. Frankenstein do? He took parts of different human beings and sewed them all together and made one freakish monster. That's the Antichrist. That's the beast here. The last one. Bits and pieces of all the previous blasphemous empires, they all come together in the last one. Every wicked, evil thing about all those, they're all represented in that last kingdom. Everything plus the kitchen sink. Okay, so we'll go more into detail that. Uh, I guess it'll be January, it'll be January 9th <laughs> before we get back together in Sunday school and Sunday morning. So how's that for blowing your Christmas mind? Deep stuff, right? Okay. And even if you aren't a doodler and stuff, you, you know, the illustration helps you kind of visualize. I've got more up here. You can tap on that. And God, I'm, I'm so glad for clear, clear encouragement like this. The unbelieving world is going to be astonished, but we're going to be like, yeah, saw it coming. Knew all about it. I'm so grateful, Father, that you were showing us ahead of time so we can be prepared. God, we look forward to that ultimate victory. The more we learn about what the end's going to be like, I guess the more excited I am about the ultimate victory. Because then it's going to be such sweetness and joy and peace and righteousness that it's like the complete, utter opposite of what we're reading about here in the enemy's kingdom. God, until that trumpet blows and you take us home, Lord, help us to grow in love for you, Jesus, in faithfulness, encouragement and boldness and just with the knowledge God that even we love you Jesus even more than this life and we are willing to give that and 
service. Jesus, in your precious, wonderful, saving name, all God's people said, Amen.